Welcome to the DMF. I am your host, Justin Yachts, and today my guest is a director, actor, writer. His name is Hussein Ahmed. He is an award-winning director, an award-winning actor, and enjoy. Okay, I have a special guest with me today. I have Hussein Ahmed. He is a writer, he is a director, and he is an actor. How are you doing, sir? I am doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, so first thing I want to ask you is, where did your interest in the arts originate from? To be honest with you, man, I, um, you know, my background coming from where I came from, yeah. uh, so many people don't even know, but when I came here, I was 14, almost 15. I had never seen TV. So imagine how that, you know, plays in someone's life. Uh, the first time mm -hmm. I ever saw TV is when we landed in America. And uh, I remember um, when we landed, because we were uh, political refugees, we had the, like, the Catholic charities, you know, they came out and, um, you know, they welcomed us and they were like, what do you guys want? And uh, I don't know what's what I've you know, never seen TV. I've never seen a phone. I've never, I've never ate ice cream. I have never tasted yeah. Coca-Cola. So there were so many things. So I, I, I was just happy being here. We were, we were happy. But um, I remember the lady, she came back and she got me a box TV, right? One of those old school, because you're talking about 1980, 1998, 99. So she, yeah. it, she, she got me one of those box TVs with the VCR attached. You remember those? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. So, yeah, man, I in my room, and guess what? It was pink. And um, and, and I was like, man, it's amazing. And so she says, oh, I got you a movie. So I don't know what a movie is, man. So she plugs my phone and puts the VCR, and it was Titanic. And, man, I watched Titanic every single day for six months. I was blown wow. away. I was mesmerized. But... The question when you ask me where, I think, you know, man, like uh, as an artist, you know, I'm sure you feel it the same way. I, I was so mesmerized by seeing that screen, you know, that I just started thinking like, oh my God, like this, once I figured it out, because I thought it was real in the beginning, the first two months, I thought this was all real. I was like, this is who captured this and what happened and this guy's dying, all these people dying, what's going on? And then I'll rewatch it, I'm like, what is going on? Because that was just like, you know, mind, mind, mind blown. But yeah. once, you know, I started, because, uh, you know, I, I, can you imagine never being to school? So it just came to me, man. Like I just felt right away that I wanted to like um, write. I started writing immediately. I picked up, you know, I, I started, a, B, C, D, and two plus two at the age of 15. But I felt like it was just maybe a gift, you know, uh, in the very beginning, it just started happening. And, um, and I started like seeing like visually, I started visualizing so much, you know, that, um, that I wanted, I knew I wanted to like, uh, this is what I wanted to do. Interesting. So it's fast. It's fascinating me. So the first director that you really came in contact with was uh, James Cameron. Titanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. But I remember my second movie, 
which became my favorite movie of all time, which, to be honest with you, I've seen more than Titanic. I've seen like probably a thousand times. I have it on my phone. I have it on Blu-ray. It's um, 12 Angry Men, Sydney Lumet. 12 Ang oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So, man, yeah, that's, you know, um, I learned a lot, a lot from just watching, you know, Sydney Lumet and the way he, he worked, you know, it was genius. But yeah, man, I just, uh, the first one was James Cameron, yeah. What, what do you think, like, what was your first um, reaction to to Titanic? Was it the acting? Was it the presentation? What what like what what jumped out oh, at you? Honestly, it was the presentation. Like visually, I was I remember, man, I was blown away. I just they played it for me the first time, and I'm just watching. And you know, my I have brothers and sisters, and their life just continued. They didn't give a damn about TV and stuff, and they would just go out. And I was glued to the TV, man. I couldn't leave. Yeah. I would just watch the screen. I was just blown away by the scale and just the beautiful, like, cinematography, you know? Uh, that movie is underrated, man. That movie is really underrated. I, yeah. I know it's, it's, it's a cheesy sort of love story that they combined as when you're looking back at now. But even today yeah. when you're watching, and it's ahead of its time. I'm telling you, yeah. like the cinematography and what they were able to pull off, it's incredible. So I was just blown away. I didn't know about directing or writing or acting. I really didn't yeah. know much about it, even though Leo is one of the best actors, in my opinion. But um, I wasn't looking. I was just blown away by the scale. The scale, the vision. I was blown away, man. Now, now going now now moving forward, the second movie, Twelve Angry Men. What blew you? What what jumped out at you there? What blew me away and blows me away till today is what he achieved to shoot about a hundred minute long in one room, and to make it one of the most exciting movies ever made. You think about it, you know, to make one movie. That's, you know, even using a whole mansion, there's only so much you could do. But if you watch that movie, especially the first 10 minutes, it's so flawless, man. You feel like you're really honest to God in there with these guys. Yeah. You don't even realize that, uh, and a lot of people don't realize, he does one take that first, um, <clears throat> after they come out of the court and they go in the room, there's a one take shot. It's the yeah. introduction of all the characters. It's genius, man. So the appreciation that I have for uh, Sydney, the way like he directed that movie. And a lot of people don't know, he was 19 years old. He was not a director. He was actually a, a, a theater director. And um, Henry Fonda was just not happy with the original director. And... Um, because he was a producer and he said look dude you're done get out of here and then the studio panicked and they were like well what are we gonna do and he was like no who is this kid and they all look they see this kid in the corner standing and he's like he's gonna direct the movie <laughs> this is a true story so they're like what there's no way like, oh yeah he's gonna direct the movie so he was 19 years old given this big task to direct this movie and he directed it flawlessly yeah he rose to the challenge he did 
What yeah. what other directors uh, do you admire? I'm curious. Honestly, um, you know, Sydney is probably one of my favorite directors. Uh, I'm 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 just never been a fan of Hitchcock. Um, mm. I know people talk about Stanley Kubrick, but I think it's um, I think The Shining is so overrated. Mm. Uh, people are gonna look at me like, oh my god, but I think it's extremely overrated. Um, but I think um, uh, Denise Vernway, um, Denise Vernway, oh, from from uh, who did Blade Runner twenty forty nine and that yeah yeah, he's, yeah I, I think you know I think uh, for now I think him I think Alejandro Inarutu and uh, Birdman such Bird a good movie Man. yeah you talk about one take you know yeah you know. Yeah, those kind of directors, man. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Uh, those directors, man, that I really, really admire, you know, and, and for now, uh, I do have yeah. a love and hate relationship with Scorsese. I think um, uh, there's a movie that not many people have seen, which is really my probably top five favorite movie ever made by him. It's called Silence. Um, yeah, yeah, I've seen Silence. That's It's a tough film. I mean, it's a long film, but it's it's... You know, you know, man, really asking interesting questions. Yeah, it really is, you know, but I think when I watched that movie, the, 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 com the composing of that movie, the composers. It's the music, of, you mean? Hmm? The background score? The background score, man. It, so I believe in manifestation. So when I watched Same that here. movie and I was blown away by the composer, I was like, I'll work with these composers. And I remember yeah. a guy next to me, like, are you out of your mind? These guys are like Academy Award nominee. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I'm going to work with these guys. And now I got these guys for our upcoming movie. It's a, it's a nice. husband and wife. Oh, yeah, it's a husband and wife. His name is Kim Clog. a genius composer. And that movie, man, shook me. Um, but anyway, man, yeah, so so um, I think like after Sydney, you know, I think um, Denise uh, and um, um, and um, yeah, between Denise, yeah, Christopher Nolan uh, yeah. and Alejandro, you know, those those three guys are like, you know, very good choices. Yeah, very good choices yeah. of, of directors and very interesting visual styles. Yeah. All three of them. You know, they, they, they each have their thing. Um, do you think, because you said you weren't introduced to television at a, at a, you know, till 15. Do you think though, even as a child, did you have a love to perform even though you didn't have television and didn't have that? Was there a love to perform even then? What I'm gonna say, not many people probably will relate or understand, you know, but because what we went through in war and so basically, man, when I was, um, I was born in 85 and in 88, 89, Saddam Hussein gassed um, our hometown, right? Yep. And, um, you know, killed everybody, literally, and we escaped and we ran. What I'm getting at is that I remember when I was eight or nine in a prison camp in Iran, 
and uh, and uh, I always wore black, always wore black, always, you know. And my father, um, and I remember like yesterday, he just looked at me and he said, because my father was a freedom fighter. He fought all his life um, as the PKK. These are the, uh, the Peshmergas, the guys who go to mountain mountain and they fought Saddam all their life. Um, but I remember, man, like him saying to me, like, son, you know, you always have, uh, I mean, I honestly had two or three shirts all my life. It wasn't like I had a luxury of, of clothing, but I always yeah. wore black, you know. And then um, my father told me, you know, my father told me, like, you, you, you know, you, because I have a, a lot of siblings. And um, um, I don't want to say it in a way where it will become, oh, you know, this guy's talking about this, but I felt a responsibility remembering myself i started feeling i had a responsibility i really really do as a young kid and i wore i started wearing black from that moment that i remember when my father pointed out and my father told me like you know there's a big symbol by wearing black and i didn't understand back then but to this day i have always till today i will always wear something black whether it's my pants or my shirt you will never see me like wearing uh, all white or this and that so what i'm getting at is that Becoming a filmmaker is not for me about fame, about this, that, or about what comes with it. Because believe me, I'm already experiencing it right now, which I never mm. give a damn about. I don't do social media. I don't do none of this. I've done so yeah. much. I know so many people, powerful people that I don't even mention. Because I felt yeah. that, you see, I never went to school. Mm. I became the number one writer uh, award-winning writer, producer, director. I won Best Actor twice. Um, I, recently at Toronto, imagine that. So I felt a responsibility that I have to do this and make sure to start building Wi-Fi systems, to start building libraries, to start building um, uh, theater schools for all the people that got absolutely no voice. We had no voice when we grew up. Nobody gave a damn about us. And, and, and yet, we made it. We're here. People have no clue how we made it or what we went through, but we made it. But there are millions of kids daily, daily, from Middle East, Africa, South America, getting annihilated. And they will never see the light of the day. They will never see opportunity. There are some of the best painters right now, some of the best uh, philosophers, some of the best directors, some of the best writers, actors that will never, never see their potential because they have nowhere yeah. to, 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 to get. So the point is that I remember myself, you know, when I started this, I felt, I just, even as a kid, you know, because um, when I was 17, I came in when I was almost 15, when I became 17 and everybody was like working at um, factory jobs and this and that, which was really okay, nothing wrong with that. I just looked at my father, I said, I'm packing my bag and I'm leaving. And it's a big thing in our culture. You can't just get up and leave, you know, you have to be that son yeah. that goes to work and back. And he said, what, what do you mean, what do you mean you're leaving? I said, I'm leaving because I'm not, this is not why I was born. I wasn't born to just get up and go and work. And there's a reason why we're here. So I, I left, you know, I left. But to come back to your question, I just felt a responsibility that if you're giving 
if you're given a life, you survived that life, you made it, then you were given a gift without, um, it's either you're taught or you have it. You know what I mean? I wasn't taught. I, I, I just learned everything on my own. So I feel a responsibility, honestly, man. I feel like I have to do this. You know, I've already done a lot, a lot, but which I would never speak about because I don't believe in doing something nice and then going and talking about it on social media and recording it. Yeah. If then you know why you're doing it. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, there's a hypocrisy of that. It's, it's, a, it's almost a manipulative tactic. You're saying, oh, here's this, but you're putting it on social media for people to see. It makes me sick you know, to my... It's not private. Yeah, when I see these videos and this guy's walking up to this person and they're like, hey, uh, you know, let me change your life and gives this guy $100. You know, why did you record it? Exactly. You know, you what, what he's what he's buying is what he's buying is the, the fame of it. Yeah. That poor he's, he's person. Buying the fame. Yeah, that poor person. You know, you, you're doing this because you're trying for yourself. You're not doing it for that person. Do you do you think uh well I mean you've already answered this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna raise the question anyways. Uh, do you feel that you know going through that you had to grow up faster than others? Oh my god, yeah, man. Oh my god. I mean, I had no childhood at the age yeah. of 13, 14, you're a grown man. And I had experienced the life of a 90-year-old, to be honest with you. Yeah. I seen so much that um you know, I was way ahead of my time when it comes to, you know, growing up as a teen. You know, you know how you start with kindergarten, then you go to elementary, then you go to middle school. Yeah. I had none of that. I know. There was none of that. None of that. So, so definitely, man, it was, it was, there's no childhood. There's just, uh, you know, and, 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 and me, honestly, man, I was really mature for my age. I saw things differently. I knew from the get-go, I, you know, what I wanted. This yeah. is not overnight success BS bullshit they tell you. Okay, it's a long journey, but understanding that journey and knowing, if you know from the beginning, the road is long, but you will make it because I said to you earlier that manifestation is energy. You know, if I say, look, I'm going to become this person, you'll become as long as you follow that. Yeah. And yeah, so definitely, man. I, I, How 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 did you how did you here's something that I don't think anyone in America will ever really understand, but I I want you to try and explain it as best you can. It's very hard. How do you how do you cope with something at a young age? You know, fleeing countries, things like how do you how do you deal with that? What? I know. What I'm about to it's, say. It's a difficult question. No, no, no. It's actually not difficult, honestly. It's not. And what I'm about to say is going to piss a lot of people off. But in my life, I've always either pissed people off or people have loved me. Okay? Mm. The person that becomes a serial killer, they say, oh, because he abused, he was abused as a child, so he's doing that. The person mm. that starts molesting kids or molesting people, well, what happened? Well, because he was molested as a kid. At the age of four or five, I saw heads cut off, arms cut off, 
everywhere. I saw people getting shot. My uncles, my uncles were shot in front of my eyes. Uh, at the age of five, we were captured, thrown in a prison camp. You didn't have a clue what was happening in that prison camp. But I didn't grow up and grabbed a gun and walked into a room and started shooting everybody because what I experienced. Well, isn't that the difference between um, a hero and a villain? A villain would go and try to perpetrate the same things that were put to him. A hero stops that and says, I don't want that to happen to anyone else. That's true. That's true. But I think also excuses, man. I really, really do. I think copping out. I think saying, I could have easily said, well, I did this because that's what happened to me. Do you see what I mean? It's yeah. always the easy route. Okay, taking the tough route, taking the uh, honest route, taking the long road instead of the short road, you'll have probably two or three out of a thousand that will take that. So you're definitely right between a hero and a villain. But yeah. I have never agreed with, well, that's what happened to them in the, as a kid and now they're doing that. I understand there is some uh, PTSD and damaging involved. Okay, yeah. but... I, 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 if I had to do everything all over again, I will do it all over again. Because everything that I understood today is what made me go into that journey. Yeah. You understand that the reason the rich is sitting there and can literally eat a sandwich for $100 and watch the poor person die of starvation and not have any feelings because he's never been to a shit in his life. Yeah. But us, what we went through, you know what I mean? You never change. You will always remember where you came from and you will always feel the pain, the pain of that homeless guy. You will feel the pain of that kid that lost the father, the mother in Congo and South America and Mexico and in, in, in parts of Asia and Iraq and Afghanistan. You'll always feel the pain because you know what they're going through. Okay. And, and that's something I've I've noticed even in your acting is you have that even when you're standing still there's there's this pain a lot of people talked about and Robert De Niro had this and I think a lot of it has to do with growing up in the 70s in a dangerous time when somebody is coming from a dangerous time even when they're standing still they're still not still because where they came is imprinted on them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. You know, the satisfaction doesn't come from being on the red light, uh, red carpet and taking pictures yeah. and people coming up to you. That's not the satisfaction, man. The satisfaction comes when you can... The goal is that if you make a film that has statement and you got one person changed, one person woke up from that, that's the biggest satisfaction. You talk about pain and all of that that's within us, and you can tell from that it's because of that. As I said to you earlier, you know, that's the goal. The goal is to really change, because, you know, art, cinema is the most powerful tool. And I never wanted to, from the, you know, I have had some massive opportunities to be up there, but it was mm. to take, either become, become um, uh, uh, make zombie movies uh, mm. or, or some brainless comedy, romantic comedy, and I never wanted to do that. I don't want to be known for that. 
You know, I want to be. You want to make films with statements. With statements. Something that people that that people will remember and have something to say. You don't want to just make pure entertainment. You want to make something that says something. Absolutely. Which is great. Which which we both know. If I took the entertainment route, I'll be there really quickly. If you know what I mean. I'll, I'll climb the ladder really quickly, but I don't want that, man. I don't want that. I love challenges. I love block roads. I love hardships. I have been used to it all my life. So for me, it's a piece of cake. Yeah. Yeah. Now, t- talk about getting back to coming to this country. Um, I read that you, the first place you came to was Louisville, Kentucky. Man, what was that like? You know what that story is incredible because when we went to uh, when we got captured in the prison camp, and um, you know one day uh, riots riots started, people couldn't take it anymore. So my family we escaped and we couldn't go back to Iraq, you know, because of um, Saddam, you know, chasing your ass. So we had to go to Pakistan was the only way. But long story short, you know, the United Nations after a long. A battle of, of being homeless and all of that, they finally agreed for certain amount of families to come out. And they literally opened the 50 states, the map, and showed to my father. And my father doesn't know what's Louisville or what's New York City or Atlanta. He just wants to get out. So he just pointed at the map, like, look, I want to go here. And it ended up on Kentucky. <laughs> so <laughs> that's really how we ended up. They opened the map, they like, boom, he pointed, Kentucky, let, let's go. So we ended up in Louisville and man, it was heaven. Oh my God, I remember, man, landing in Louisville. First time getting on a plane, you don't understand that feeling, man, that I have had a billion times, like a frame in my head played over and over again. Okay, first mm-hmm. of all, getting on a plane and seeing those beautiful stewards and seeing their knees for the first time, I was seeing women's knees because you know coming from Middle East, you're really covered. <laughs> so that yeah. that experience of seeing these beautiful women um, uh, on the plane was uh, unbelievable. But landing in Louisville and coming out, man, and being in America, you know, it was. Um, and mind you, when we first got to Louisville, they put us in the ghetto. Okay, they put us in yeah. the worst places, right? But the worst places were like the most beautiful places we have ever seen. Yeah. You don't understand, because man. Because compared, compared, to, compared to where you were, there was like it was paradise. You don't understand. I and it just goes show perception is reality. Whatever you perceive is, you know, is hell. I, I hate to tell you, there's something further down the road that's worse than that. You know? Perception is reality. Honestly, man, I remember walking in the ghetto. At, at supposedly war zones, and I would walk, man. I would just walk and look around, and people looking at me like, "What's going on with this kid?" Man, I was just enjoying, you know. If I saw a, a guy with a handgun, uh, to me that was like a, a piece of candy because I seen grenades and stuff blow up all over the place. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was, there, there was like, yeah, it, it was just like, yeah, it's just another way in, in there. But, you know, I remember the first. <laughs> Started screaming, oh my god, there was a gun in school. I said, only one? Hey, only one gun? Are you kidding me? Let's go. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how like our mindsets were, man, coming from where we came from. But yeah, yeah man, yeah, the most beautiful, incredible feeling ever, man. It was unbelievable. I can never forget the first couple of weeks and months. Oh my god, man, it was it was oh. great, man. 
I discovered cheeseburgers. I discovered Coca-Cola. I discovered, you don't understand, man. I would you just. I, I remember a two-gallon Coca-Cola. You know the, the two-liter, the, the big one. Yeah. And yeah. I would take that in my room, lock the door, and try to drink the whole thing because I was scared somebody would come and take it. Yeah. And people talk about that in World War Two, you know, people, you know, the scarcity of food, you you were not you weren't used to this idea. It's like, okay, this is, this is that it's almost it's funny. It's almost like you were like uh, taking a bottle of wine instead you're taking a, a bottle of Coke and drinking it. It was so good. I was like, somebody will come and take it. There's no way they're giving this to me. So let me finish it. And you know, you know, Coca-Cola, man, it hurts you after a while. If, if you drink a lot, I would drink it. it it's like that part in um, in the film Fight Club when he says to yeah. when he when he we puts the gun to the the clerk's head and he said when he wakes up this will be the best day he's ever had this he'll know the the feeling of being alive and that's yeah. kind of what and that's what you're saying when you came to Louisville it it was we can't really yeah. put it into words because it's it words don't I, I don't think there's enough words to describe what you were feeling. You can't, man. It was unbelievable, honestly. But, you know, those yeah. are the moments that you keep in your heart and cherish it, you know, forever. Because only you yeah. knew what you're feeling, you know. Nobody can ever know. So it was beautiful, you know. Yeah. yeah. So now getting getting to, all right, you, you talked a little bit about this. So you, you said you just kind of just felt a need to write. Was there somebody that pushed you in that direction to write? Not no one, man. I had it, and uh, and you you gotta think about it. You know, I didn't know a word of English. I didn't know, like I said, they had to teach me A B C D and all that. A year yeah. later, a year later, I'm writing like a machine. So I know this was meant to be. I knew writing. You know, not I was terrible in math. I was terrible in everything, but in writing, I started floating, man, and. Um, and, uh, and, and knowledge, you know, I had so much knowledge, man, that someone, when they met me, they would think that I went to Harvard University. You know, I had so much knowledge about life. I knew stuff that people would um, mind boggle. You know, I knew everything about uh, Gandhi. I knew a lot about stuff that people wouldn't understand how I knew. And did, honestly, sometimes I don't even know. Did you I read knew. a lot? Did you read a lot? I, I were you able to? Listen, we were uneducated. Ah. I have never, that's what I'm trying to tell you. When I came, we had never read a book, never read, because I didn't know how to read. I don't know how to read or write, even in my own language at that time. Never been to where, school. Where do you think that accumulative knowledge of like Gandhi and things that you hadn't read about, is that family? Is that just, where, where do you think it came from? Why I say, if I say certain things, people will be like, man, uh, you know, I don't know, honestly. I just had so much knowledge and I don't know. Somewhere, lot, of course, traveling taught me a lot because, as I said, running from Kurdistan, Iraq, going to the border of Turkey, getting shot at, running back, going to Iran, getting captured in the prison camp, staying there for a few years, coming out, going to Pakistan, Pakistan being a war zone. Staying in Pakistan was horrible. Let's go to India. And mind you, this is all walking. There's no driving. So you're taking yeah. 10 to 14, 15 days of walking. Going to India, staying there for a year, 
coming back from India to, to Pakistan, finding United Nations coming here. Do you understand that going through that, I learned the four fluent languages, never been to school. You know what I mean? So I think while I was traveling, running, not traveling for, for pleasure, running and, yeah. and, and fighting for life, I think the brain, the, the, the frame of the, what's in my head, because I see a lot of frames in my head, even when I'm directing, I can see things way ahead of time of exactly the shot that I want. I think my brain, man, I honestly got to think that I went through so much that my brain was almost like a scanner scanning things. As I was going through stuff without me realizing it was like capturing things. And so when I think, it's almost like I'm going in my brain like a computer. Like you go to a computer and you're like researching and then you bring up stuff that from your email that was like 10 years ago, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, so I think, you know, when we were running and, and understanding life and trying to get better in life, what I went through, I was learning a lot as because as, I wasn't a normal kid. I was not running around trying to play hide and seek and stuff like that. I was always like really mature for my age. So I think that's what happened because the first piece that I ever wrote at the age of 17, um, basically I wrote a, a, a theater play, right? And... <laughs> Oh, All right. Okay, so let's talk about your first film, Pablo is Dead. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. And let, let me tell you the first thing I noticed when I came through. One was your stillness and your presence was like off the, ch off the charts already. You reminded me a lot of uh, Ryan Gosling. Your, your stillness was that. I don't know if he was somebody that you... Um, watched or you like or something is, is did i hit on that or no yeah you know yes but you know man um starting like you know i remember from the beginning i understood you know that your eyes you know your eyes can tell so much right yeah. you don't have to talk a lot there's so much you could do just telling from your eye and there was an actor actually an indian actor along with Danero that would tell the whole story just by their eyes. Uh, there was an actor, I know you're an actor, and there's an actor mm. called Irfan, Irfan Khan, he passed away. Yeah, yeah, I you love know, him, he's a great actor. You know, you know, I met him and we had amazing really? Oh my God, yeah, but that man, you didn't have to give him dialogues. You really didn't have to. You would tell him, look, I want you to portray this, and he would tell you just from the pain in his eye. So. I knew, like I. That's what I was telling you. Like you don't need. Did to... he? Did he come to a sim? Come from a similar background as you in oh, some ways? Oh yeah, hundred percent, a hundred percent. There you go. A hundred percent, very similar, man. Very similar. And when you mentioned the narrow earlier about his upbringing in the seventies, and that this is exactly what they went through—a lot of hardships. Of course, it's different hardships, yeah. you know. The different yeah. hardships, the similarities. So when yeah, look at that. You look at that film, the uh, the Warriors. Like it was gang territory, taxi driver. That's what people were growing up in. New York was a dangerous place. It's not like what New York is today. Now, when people are like, "Oh, it's," I'm like, "No, it's not." There's there's like barely any. You have to go to like, yeah, even Harlem's not dangerous anymore. Maybe compared to. Yep. Compared to what people went through. So 
it's it's almost impossible to to bring that down. But that's why I bring up yeah, De Niro, uh, Gosling, and yeah, I I know the actor I, you're talking about. He's great. I agree, man. And and you're right. You hit it in the nail. You know that's I understood that from the very beginning that I didn't want to just you know talk. So you 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 paid attention for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, honestly, man, those those little bitty short stuff, you know, I was just, um, I knew from the beginning that when I wanted to do my first feature, I did not want to depend on investors. I did not want to, because I knew people who were waiting for 10 years to make one movie because they were waiting for someone to come and give, hand them a couple of million dollars. So yeah. So all the shorts that I was doing from the very get-go, I was actually honestly um, practicing. You know, I was practicing. Um, and, and, and in the beginning, nobody understood what I was going for. Nobody understood, you know, what's in my head. I would just say, look, this, this, that, that. And they would be like, oh, okay. You know, but no one understood what I was trying to get at. But for me, you know, those were like the blueprints. That was college for me. Okay, that was. I I can already see though a lot of yeah, a lot of technique coming in. I mean, when you strangle the guy and you pull the camera away, you didn't have the the the, the capabilities to really show him dying. But by pulling it away, you know, you, the viewer is going to, if they're paying attention, they'll they'll create that that image in there. Yeah. And I like the dark grittiness. They had a nice palette. I mean, you might not have had lights and, and everything there, but you had, it still had a mood and an idea. And even though there's not a lot of dialogue, it's still, it flows. Like you, you can tell somebody, somebody's good right off the bat. And that's, you know, and I noticed it right away. I was like, oh, wow, he reminds me of Grant Gosling. That's like the first thing he just made. Jumped down. I was like, should I tell him that? <laughs> I appreciate it. I really, really do. So yeah, so um, I, 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 yeah, I really liked Pablo Was Dead and I liked the clothing you guys were wearing. And then the, um, what was it? The second film you did, I forget the name of it. Why didn't I not write that down? See, um, I have it right here. I have all your films here. The, the second film I watched. Um, the short film, yeah. I remember, because um, <clears throat> I did a bunch of short films, man. Some never even made it into, you know, out there, but. Uh, uh, I did that yeah. one. I did um, uh, broken bonds. Broken bonds. That was it. <laughs> the, the other one you did. Yeah. You know, I could say you're still you're still struggling. But I mean, you were still the best actor, even even though you didn't even have that much dialogue. <laughs> your your acting was coming off <laughs> coming off the screen. Everybody else was kind of doing, you know, trying to act with the dialogue. You were acting with your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so I noticed, I noticed the talent uh, right away. Now let's talk a little bit about um, the Tasmanian Devil because I, I watched the, I watched the trailer. That's all I could see. But um, even from the trailer, I could see, you know, I could see what you're doing with everything. Uh, actually, so that was not my first feature. The first feature I did, which um, you can definitely watch it. Because I put it crossing crossing yeah. the line, yeah, yeah, and I and I watched that. I I watched the trailer for that as well. Yeah, and um, you can watch the whole thing actually on YouTube. What happened really? with that? Yeah, 
Yeah, I'll send you the link so you can. Uh, but what happened with that, man, that was uh, for me will always be the most special ever because uh, that was my first. And uh, I told everybody, the team, you know, that I gathered, I said, listen, yes, you can go and look for that $100 a day rate, but the vision is bigger. This will be our first yeah. one. Nobody's going to be paid. We're all going to go shoot the thing, which, by the way, at that time was only 15 minutes long. And I said, but we're going to win something and we're going to open doors. Whoever wants to go on that journey with me, let's go. If not, walk away. So <laughs> no budget, no actors. I only had the scenes that's, that's on the border of Mexico about a terrorist that comes through Mexico. He's got a suitcase that he has to deliver. That, that's all I had the plot. So mm. we go to the border of Mexico. I am literally getting locations, getting um, local actors and tell them, look, I got this. You want to be involved? All right, let's go. Let's do it. That's how I was running and gunning it. It became so beautiful, man. Like everything was looking so great that everyone begged me, can you please add another 15 minutes? So I ended up shooting in the border of Mexico, which by the way, I got the military involved. Can you believe that? Uh, with no budget. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wanted to tell three stories from three backgrounds, all combining at the end, connecting, all connecting at the end. One was a story of this terrorist coming through Mexico to the States because he has to deliver this thing. One was about a Mexican coyote. They, they, they call them the coyotes. These are the guys that bring people from back and forth. And then one was um, about a, uh, a Mexican girl or a Hispanic girl that's uh, dealing with some um, uh, racial stuff. So, so I, I finished everything in the border of Mexico. And they're like telling me, look, this looks great. Can we, can you add? Sure, let's go. So where do you want to go? Let's go to Florida. Why? That's what I see in the next, the next 15 minutes. So run to Florida. Then ended up in Ohio. Long story short, we shot this film in eight days. No budget. All, at, <laughs> all locations. I got a jet, a private jet. We both know what a private jet cost. I like I was like I know myself as a producer, you know, I'm really yeah. convincing, okay? And you have to be. But yeah. I shot that film, no budget, send it to Switzerland International Film Festival. I remember it clearly. It was among 25 films selected. Six or seven of those movies were visually beautiful. And I remember um, my girlfriend at that time, she said, uh, you know, she's not my fiance, but she said, um, you're going to win. And um, she said, your story, the story is so incredible. You're going to win. Mind you, man, I crushed it. Crushed it. Zero budget. 
So that yeah. film, 29, will always be my most special. What I, did you shoot it? What did you shoot it on? I'm curious. I, I got um, Blackmagic 6K. Wow. I, I had, like I'm telling you, man, from the get-go, I knew when I was going to begin this, I was going to begin this with, with a bang, if you know what I mean. I needed to make a statement. I needed people to uh, realize who I was. And um, because to this day, man, whoever is watching that movie, even though it's about probably 70 minutes long, people think I had budget, I had proper this, proper that. Um, you have to remember, I'm the writer, producer, director, casting and location and just everything is myself, you know, um, uh, playing the lead, playing one of the leads. And, and um, but yeah, man, I remember that, you know, that was... Uh, unbelievable experience but shot the whole thing in eight days uh the tasmanian devil i know you asked about that which we'll get into it but even that that entire thing do you know how long it took me to shoot nine days nine days i was gonna say 20 <laughs> nine days for the whole thing <laughs> so you know you know but but here's the thing um you you know how to get your stuff together and go and you know how and and i have a feeling you you know you know what you want to do. You're not sitting around. A lot of filmmakers, they sit around. They're like, let's figure this out. I've been on sets where they don't even have the shots. And they're like, oh, we'll figure them out. And then it's like, no, it's not time. You know what you want to do. So therefore, you're able to do it in eight days, nine days. That's, you know, that's a gift. That shows well you, you know. Well said. That's that's exactly right. You know, you don't have the luxury, you don't have the money, you don't have the budget, and you have to really know exactly what you want. And I know, at least for me, you know, I always knew. I, I like I said to you earlier, it's like a frame that I can see the pieces together. You know, yeah. and 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 of course, I like to. I do a lot of preparation, as you can see right now. For the past three months, I'm getting ready for this project, and I have another three months of January. I I put a lot of preparation. And and that's key. That's key. But th those are the things that are going to make it so that when you get to set, you know how to do. You can you can go right. In, you can go into it. And that's why you can do it in eight, nine days. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's not impossible. It's just. Unfortunately, people are lazy. <laughs> they don't want to take the time to do it. If you do, Very if you plan ahead. Yeah, you can do it in Very eight true. Days. Very nine days. You just Very put, true, you, but the fact you were able to do it without really anybody that's even more to stand the fact that you were pretty much managing everything it's not like you had an ad and all these other people you're like pretty much doing everything oh, you and um you're you're the guy who's i noticed he's uh i don't know how to pronounce i'm gonna butcher his name jay ming yeah i noticed he's in a lot of he's in a lot of the stuff even then pablo is dead so <laughs> you already were building up a good crew that you can trust. And if you talk about the directors you're talking about, which we mentioned at the be at the beginning, you know, Sidney Lumet, you know, Christopher Nolan, Alejandro Ine too, they have their team. That's one of the reasons why Clinton Eastwood is able to do things in one take, because he has his team. Same thing with Terrence Malick. They they he know they know how to shoot him. So hundred percent just go to you can just go to work, you know. 100%. And I've been everybody's uh, in sync. It works. Everybody's in sync. It is true, man. And you need to have that one or two person that's with you that you know understand you. 
Okay. Absolutely. They're not gonna. They know. Okay. You know what? I I know exactly what he's saying. And you, when you have proven to them, especially like you know, my my, my lady, you know, she she's yeah. incredible, been incredible because she um, understood me from the get go. Okay. I told you, there's a lot in my head that I can't um, explain until I'm on set, and I'm like, hey, this is that that that. Some of the key scenes. In those films, whether it's in um, uh, the Crossing the Line, Tasmanian Devil, I just finished the Delano file with some really big name actors. It's in post production now. Some of the key scenes, man, were never in the script, never. I I'm on set and I see and I see frames and I'm like, look, I want to do this, and they're like, well, it's not in the script, you know. Listen, don't worry about it. Get the camera. So, so you're very similar to Ridley Scott. That's kind of how he he doesn't really shoot with a full script. You know, a lot of actors get frustrated with him because it's not a full, you know, sometimes it's not a full yeah, script. Well, case, he just goes. See, in my case, I think uh, when it comes to directing, I'm actor's dream. And I'll tell you why. Because. Yeah, I can tell. Because, because, and I know you're an actor. What I do is I have full scripts. And I say, um, um, Scott. Hey, uh, Dylan, hey, Jack, come here. So you know your role, yes, sir. You know your line, yes, sir. Do not tell me the exact lines. Bring me the lines that you feel your character will say. This whole egotistical BS about writers and directors wanting everything to be exact on the page, it's not correct, man. Sometimes it becomes acting. That's another gift that you have. You just told me right there that you're able to let it go. You're able to write it and then let it change. A lot of director, a lot of writers can't do that. A lot Can of writers are stuck to their their words to the page, you know. But you realize that it's an organic element, and it's like I, if I'm open to things, different things will happen. When you close yourself off to it, drop my phone. When you are when you are when you close yourself off to it, yeah, it's it's hard, but you see that with a lot of playwrights and a lot of a lot of writers they can't let the thing and that's that's great that you're able to let it to let it change you got to it. mike nichols mike nichols is like that yes bit. absolutely and it's a yeah. trust you have to trust your actors you know you have to trust yeah. them like you, 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 your actor for me it's so much more important for the actor to study the character than to study the lines forget yeah. the lines you know, study your character. When you show up, you're the, the character. I, I visual. You're good to go, man. Yeah. No, you sit there and tell me word by word everything. And yeah. honestly, some of the best scenes in history of films have always been improvised. Yeah, well, talking about Leo DiCaprio, the um, he cut his hand on the, the thing, Dangle. you know, and he put the Dangle. thing. I don't think he. Um, I think they cut after that. I don't think he actually put his actual blood on the. Uh, on the woman uh, when, when he's doing the yeah. scene, but yeah. but I do know he cut his hand. He cut his I'm hand. Sure they, I'm pretty sure they ran ran with it as much as they could. I don't know. Maybe he did do that. Man, I think um, he did. I think he did. But not only that, there's so many scenes that we could literally sit here. There are scenes that actors have won the Academy Award that the scenes were not in the movie, such as um, yeah. I know I know the Silver Lining Playbook. More than 50% of those scenes were literally given the yeah. freedom of actors and they provided and they nailed it. And you have to, I, I, I understood yeah. that, you know, I understood well, that. David O. Russell is, you know, is talking about, he doesn't like, 
to follow plot. He likes things to change. When he was doing American Hustle, uh, Christian Bale said to him, you know, if we do it like this, you're going to change the whole trajectory of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the movie. And he's like, I don't care. I don't really care about plot. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> Again, I think, I think if you know your end game, I think if you know exactly what you're looking for, I believe that when you are so butthurt that the actors are changing lines, it's because you really don't have the end game in your head. And that's why you're lost and you don't want nothing yeah. to change in your script because this is your blueprint. It's you know also I mean? an insecure, I think it's also an insecurity reason. 100%. You know, that's feeling, um, yeah, feeling it insecure is. to to let it. To also, let it ego, trying to also and ego. ego. You know, but look, look, you've you. I'm sure you've been in it enough. You you know how this business breeds egos. You have to have a good head on your shoulder to not let yourself be caught up in the egotism of of it. You have to let, and that's what you. You you remind me also of Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone talks about. He says, "Look, it's all it's all a war zone. Everything's going crazy, but at the end of the day, I've got to shoot the movie that I that that I that I see. You know, it's my job. As he thinks it's his job as the director to to still maintain th that that vision. You know, throughout the thing. Very true. Very true, man. It's 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 ego." Uh, an actor comes in and he really wants to perform and he wants to give his best, but your ego hurts because he's going to go over you. You think in your head he's going over you by changing a few things. Listen, man, if it's helping your project, if he's delivering a beautiful performance, why would you get your little feelings hurt that he didn't follow mm -hmm. what you said? It's crazy, you know? If it's good. And I think that's the gift that you've been given from your upbringing is you're able to see the bigger picture and not be like not get swept by these small things like this 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 is small stuff who cares the about guy, that i care about the, the big thing the guy that's holding the boom is as important as anybody else okay exactly. that's nobody team. bigger than anybody i walk on a set i don't become um uh, hey look at me yeah. those things don't exist man without him there is no movie how about that? Exactly. I mean, so, I always try to shake my hands with everybody after I leave right. set, you know, yeah. who's been on the face. I'm like, they're making me look good. It's it's all it's yep. all a team effort. It's all a it's a team effort, man. Very, team um, effort. So let let's let's go to now Tasmanian Devil. I've, I've got a lot of questions to ask you just just from the trailer alone. One thing I wanted to talk to you about is the hair. Where did the uh, where did the hair where the hair idea come up come from? I'm curious. You know, it's based on true events. So okay, what happened with that? What happened with that is uh, we premiered Crossing the Line in um, a couple of states, but in Florida, in Miami, and it's packed, man, packed. You know, people are watching it, and uh, and to be honest, you know. They were blown away, blown away because, um, you know, they knew that there was no budget, but the story was really, really strong. So after the show, when the show was over, um, uh, Jackie, that's which is my lady, she um, knew this boxer 
And this boxer was apparently doing some deal with Netflix. They were trying to do his film. So he walks out, he was there. And he walks up and he says, I got to talk to you. And I said, sure, let's talk. So, you know, we, we go to dinner and he says, I don't want nobody to do my stuff because they're butchering my story. They're butchering my life. They're changing everything. So basically this boxer was literally a thug. He was a street fighter in Chicago. And he was such a, basically, man, he would knock out three to four people a night. He would go to a local bar, get in a ring in the local bar and challenge people for a couple of, couple of 20s and go home. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. when he became very popular, they started calling him the Chicago Raging Bull. He became, he made a name mm -hmm. for himself. Yeah, that's what I was thinking was Raging Bull when you were telling me that. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they literally called him Chicago Raging Bull. Well, uh, th that guy made a lot of mistakes because he could have easily been, honestly, somebody. But long story short, he was very popular to the point that people he would fly from different countries challenge him. You know, they would challenge him in these fights and he would just beat everybody's ass. So, um, so he tells me the only way I will do this with you is if you play me. Now, keep in mind, I'm not a boxer. I do not like, I despise gyms. I don't like gyms. I don't like people who go work out like a lunatic 24-7. I like to eat. I like to drink. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, and boxing, there isn't really much you could do with a boxing story. They're basic all the same underneath. What was really interesting about this guy is that he got involved with the mob in Chicago and basically double-crossed the mob, mobbed the gut pissed off, he slit his throat. This guy literally died for 15 minutes before they brought him back to life. And wow. then he went under witness protection for uh, 20 years. So I thought about it and I said, I said, I have to write it because I'm a writer. So I said, okay, I'll write it. I'm going to have to direct it because I don't have money to afford to get a director. And I will play it. Now keep Keep in mind, and I will send you some pictures. At that time, I was chunky, man. I was a chunky. I finished because for, for the crossing the line, I gained about 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. I wanted someone that, that looked really menacing, you know, because I, I played the terrorist. So, and he's like, uh, so, like, how many years are we going to do this? I said, what do you mean? He's like, how many years are you going to take off to, to become a boxer? I said, three months. And he's like, uh, what? I said, yeah. I said, in three months, I don't have time to give you two, three years. I, I want to, I, I can't slow down. I have to make movies. So we're going to do this. I'm going to start writing, start training at the same time and get my locations. And um, he's like, oh, okay, okay, let's do it. So in three months, man, I... Let's just say I pissed off a lot of people because I became obsessive with training. So I would wake up in the morning, run. Then I would go to gym with my boxing trainers and box for hours. Then I would go at night to work out. 
And I don't give a damn between me and you. I did quite other things to achieve what I had to achieve, if you know what I mean. Okay? Because it was impossible in three, four, in three months to get to what I'm doing. So I had to do that, right? Yeah. Three months later, man, I isolate myself from everybody. I'm just working out, writing. When I came back and I met that man, he, God is my witness. I walked in there. I said, he's looking at me. He doesn't know who I am. He's just looking at me. And Jackie starts laughing. And she's like, Frankie, what's going on? Let's, let's talk. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm waiting for Hussein. I dropped. So when I began the training, I was about 220. Yeah. I became... 250 because I just put a lot of weight on in a month. Yeah. And then I cut my weight down to 200. Wow. And I looked like a boxer. So when he was younger, he had a blonde hair. He was a blondie. He used to call him blondie. So for the younger version, I had to look like in my mid-20s. So I literally became that person. But then the story is told when he is older. So it was messed up because I had to do all the older stuff first because I grew my beard. I grew like, you know, so I did the older scenes. In two days, I finished all the older scenes. And then I did all of the younger scenes in the rest seven days. But I, that was a mission statement because, mind you, again, I had no uh, budget, but Budget never stops me. And that's why I think I be, I'm, I'm successful in what I have done because I know if somebody told somebody do a boxing movie, well, yeah, they'll be terrified. And then first thing they do is go chase money for the first two, three years. I was like, no, 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 no. I know I'll get all my locations. And you know, a boxing movie requires a lot of locations, thousands of extras. And you're talking about the peak of pandemic in Florida. Wow. So I had everything against me, no money, and I wanted Eric Roberts. Not because of anything, because I really saw Eric Roberts as that mob guy. Because when he told me about the mob guy, it was like Eric Roberts. So, and then the trainer, when you see the trailer and you see my trainer, he's a very famous actor in Europe. So, and I say, I'm getting these people and everybody's panicking, dude. We don't have budget. Don't worry about it. I will talk to these people and they will feel me. And they're like, what? So I got on the phone, man. And I'm obsessive. Because if I want something, I get it. I don't stop till I don't, you know. <laughs> I got, I got uh, with, 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 with not sleeping for two, three weeks, I got his cell phone number, Eric's cell phone number. And I called him. And... Um, the entire budget, when you look at the Tasmanian devil, you really think I had about a half a million dollars at least. I mean, this is from everybody who have seen it. I had $40,000. Now you're talking about actors like Eric Roberts, Eliza Roberts. You're talking about Blairim, who was the coach. Just for that, it's a couple of hundred grand. I know what I'm saying, especially working with a first-time, literally a first-time director. But 
I'm not gonna get too much into depth, but I made all that happen, man. I, I made all all of it happen, and all of that happened in three months. I, I got the script done. All look while I'm writing, we're getting locations, getting actors. I'm training. I'm casting. <laughs> so, so I was I was gonna ask you the question if a deadline helps you, but I don't think you need a deadline or anything. You're it. just going to do it. No, I don't need it because because honestly, here's what I do. I selected certain people without them knowing I selected them. When I talk about energy, that's what I meant. Okay, if I say I really, really, really want to work with this person. They don't know, but I have selected them because I'm going to make it happen. So, so, so when the, let's say uh, planning, there's no planning deadline, nothing. Because when the film is over, let's say we shot it in 10 days. In the next three months, four months, the film is ready to go. I don't care how I got to do it. I don't care how the editing, because you know, post is the most expensive. But the man that did the composing for the Tasmanian Devil is Rock Chen. If you look up Rock Chen, this man is the man with the highest grossing movies of all time. He's the number one Asian composer ever. He's composed all of the Jackie Chan movies, some of the biggest Asian films. He's done some of the biggest animated movies such as Kung Fu Panda. I could never ever in my life afford a man like this. But I said I needed this guy. So I found his number. We spoke. That man had the same story as me when he grew up. And he said, done, I'm doing it. I'll do it. If you know what I mean. You see what I mean? So yeah. So absolutely so yeah. So that's, that's how, man. I don't believe in deadlines and stuff, but I do believe in, in um, I don't believe in excuses, man. I really, really don't. I think that, I think that's what separates a really good producer from a producer. Yeah. It's, it's knowing, look, um, let me see something here so it can remind me. Give me one second. Uh, okay. There's a name I'm looking for. Give me a second. Uh, What's the name? What's the name? Uh, anyway, anyway, I was looking for a name to, to, to re uh, reference. But what I was going to say, the point I was going to make was that if Justin gets involved in my project, I have so much respect for Justin and his time that I will make sure it's not gone and waste. I'll make sure that if he dedicated his time to me, I have to make sure I will give him that time and I'll, I'll make sure it's done. Problem with people, man, is that nobody has value for anybody. Okay? It's true. It's, it's true. Really they, true. They, um, they, there's, there's a lot of, they see him as instruments or objects. Yeah. So. Which is the unfortunate, which is the unfortunate side effect of social media and so many things is we're losing grip on the things that motivate people and, and make things happen is passion and work, you know? True, man. True. You know, I said, um, I said to myself that, um, 
before I began everything. I said, before I'm 40 years old, I have to win the academy. And I remember it clearly. My mother, my father, don't watch TV. They don't know nothing about industry. They have no clue. They are, you know, religious people from Middle East. They pray, they go to sleep, they wake up. You know what I mean? My mother and my father individually have dreamed, seen me receiving this and receiving that, and they don't, they don't have a clue what this is. But I knew from the get-go, before I'm 40, I have to be there. And I know it's going to happen. I know it because everything I have manifested, it has always come out to be true. The energy you put out, that's the energy you receive. And yeah. we should never set ourselves short. If you want to do something, you want to be the top guy. You don't want to be just there as another ant. Yeah. Okay. And that's why I know from my filmography, if you look at it, it keeps getting better and better. You don't want to go down, you got to go up. Whether it's actors, to your story, to visually, to the music, everything got to elevate. Each time you go, it's getting better and better. Has to. Well, you already answered the, the next question. Where do you see yourself? <laughs> um, this, has been, this has been wonderful, man. Yeah, man. This has been <laughs> so so great. Um, so get all right. So let's wrap up a little bit here. Um, I'm curious. Do you have a beginning of the day routine? Every single day. To be honest with you, first of all, I'm a night owl. I don't like to. I, I I'm awake all night. Okay. Yeah. I like to write. I like to think. I like to. All of that, but every time that I have written a new script, it's always begun with getting in my car and taking a drive. Every story that I have ever written has begun that way. That's my routine, man. I wake up, if I want to do something, I have an idea, I will try. And by the end of that drive, I will know exactly what I'm looking for. And um, I began that way. But if you're talking about the routine, man, Every morning, whenever I sleep and wake up, and I don't wake up too late, believe me, I don't need much sleep. Three to four hours, I'm good to go. I like to walk. I love to take a walk. And uh, it's the most beautiful feeling, man. doesn't matter if it's cold, hot, windy, rainy. That's not going to stop me. My walk is like my therapy, you know. Um, but I love to begin this way. I don't drink coffee. I don't, like, I just... It's not me, but that walk, uh, I, I can miss anything. I don't want to miss my walk. It's a beautiful, beautiful therapy, you know, but that's, yeah, that's, that's it, man. And um, not sure if you're going to ask or not, but I would love to have you, man, uh, for my film, The Sand Runner. I think, yeah. uh, you know, you, you, I love your look and, um, and, and uh, uh, I was honestly offered quite a good amount of money for the script. And I declined it, but it's basically the buzz around this man is that this could be the next crash. Um, so it's a really, yeah, it's a really powerful script. I know when you read it, you will know what I mean, and it's really different the way I the way we we wrote it. But um, I'll definitely send it to you, man, with the character yeah, that send I have in me. mind. Yeah, yeah, I have a character in mind. Uh, it's a it's a it's a bigger role. But check it out, man. See what you think. I love yeah. to have you involved. No, no, no. We're gonna, 
we're definitely we're definitely going to talk about uh, that. Let me just finish up though with you first. Um, yeah. Do you have a do you have a nighttime routine? No, not honestly. No, I um I don't I don't like to. Uh, that's another crazy thing. I don't like to plan things. I don't like to think about um, oh you know what will happen or what will I do. I just go with the flow, man. I know yeah. in the mornings when I wake up, that's the first instinct of me walking. But at night, there is no routine or nothing. Um, um, there's a little prayer here and there that I do. But other than that, I don't have any, you know, I go to sleep when I want. I wake up when I want. And uh, and to, to be honest with you, I never had, I have never worked with somebody, if you know what I mean. I know this will be sound crazy, but I never all my life worked for anybody. Worked oh, oh worked for somebody. You're always working for yourself. It's great. Yeah, from the beginning. I recognize you. Yeah, and and and, um, and I've survived and had a beautiful life, but I have never. Uh, so when I look back in my life, man, I know like so many people, you know, uh, rightfully so, and they have to go to work and stuff because you have to survive. Yeah. Man, if you look back, if, if one day you know I'm sitting down in actor's studio. And they asked me, you know, tell us about your life. I have to look back. And it's like, it's unbelievable because, um, you know, I'm 37 years old and I, I didn't come from a wealthy background. And, you know, but I just, I look back, man, from the age of 17 until like, I don't but know. You were well, but you were wealthy because you had dreams. Oh, yeah, I know that's cliche and I'm no, quoting sure. Arnold Schwarzenegger here, but that's what he said when he was in Graz. He said, yeah. I had dreams. And it's the same thing with you. Yeah. You had dreams. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the thing that most people don't have. Even people that are supposedly wealthy, if you go into their head, they're not because they don't ever feel complete. They are always searching for something else to complete them. Instead of already being complete and cert and doing those things, they're looking for that to complete them. And yeah. that's, that's the difference. You, it's the dreams and that. Do you, do you meditate? Oh yeah, man. I love meditating. I love to sit alone and just take time out. Like I love that. You do the same thing? Every day. I love that. Every man. day, every day. Yeah. And we, and, what um what books do you what books do you recommend or do, do you do you read what what books are you reading? You know, honestly, man, I'm not a um big That's big cool. uh, you know uh, book reader. Um, although cool. uh, yeah, although I've read a couple of books, but I'm not like a <laughs> book fanatic. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's cool. Yeah. What What are you watching right now? Oh man, and you know, honestly, man, like I believe that. Our time is so, um, at least for me, yeah. I don't just sit and watch TV or movies. I have to be very selective, like selective on it. Like the last movie I watched, um, I don't watch TV, first of all, believe it or not. I don't even watch TV. Yeah, that's, um, that's but yeah, the last uh, movie, um, I watched a remake of Forrest Gump. Which people, I know a lot of people don't think there's a remake out there. A remake. A remake of Forrest Gump. It's a Hindi movie. It's Indian. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I watch that. But when I want to watch a movie, man, it, it's first of all uh, drama. I love good slow burn drama. I don't watch, like I said to you earlier, like, you know, zombies and, you know, uh, yeah. romantic comedy. I just, it's just not me. Um, but um, the only TV show that I ever watched, it's been two TV shows that I've ever watched that I really enjoyed from beginning to end. Uh, one was um, uh, Lost. Mm -hmm. I watched Lost from, you know, all the way through. And then the other one um, was with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Oh, True, de true Detective. True Detective. That was yeah. so good, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was amazing. Loved, that was yeah. like a movie. That was a movie yeah. into itself. It really was. I think it was a masterpiece, you know. But yeah, that's that's what I like, man, you know. Um, Do you watch any David Lynch films? Oh, man, yes. Yeah. There's a guy, yeah. there's a guy who has a different. Yes, yes. David Lynch, uh, David Fincher. Um, Same, yeah. All, yeah, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the Davids. David O'Russell, <laughs> David. Adventure. These guys are dangerous, man. They they they're they, so they, good. They're so good. good. And those are the, uh, my type of movies, you know. I love those yeah. type of movies, man. Mulholland Drive, uh, <sighs> so good. You so know good. what you should see? It's it's pretty much a movie in itself. Is is Twin Peaks: The Return that, he, yeah. that oh, David Lynch did? Yeah, yeah, that I know. About is, it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It that is it. that's like almost a, that's almost like it's not really a TV show. It's a it's a David Lynch film of 19 episodes. Is, is, is that the one with Killian uh, Murphy? No? No, 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 no. That, that's uh, Peaky Blinders. Peaky uh, Blinders, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. Twin Peaks is, um, I don't know how to describe it. It was just no, no, so no. different. Me, I, I know which one that is. And I've definitely put it you know, in a bucket list you know, that I want to watch. Um, is it strange? It's different. It's yeah. drama. It's I don't know. He's 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 such a unique filmmaker. I can't really he find is. him. Under, he really is. He, really he, is. he goes through his uh, through his streams. All right, wrapping up here, dude. This was this was amazing. Thank you so much. Of course, this man. Was, it's been this was, this was this was awesome. Um, yeah. How can people how can people reach you? <laughs> IMDb, man. IMDb. IMDb, um, all right. You know, IMDb. I don't do, um, uh, you know, like I said, social media and stuff. I know people would be like, are you crazy? That's, I just, I don't. Uh, but the IMDb, you know, my email is there. Uh, for anybody who wants to reach out to me, go there and reach out. I always love to collaborate with the right-minded people, obviously. But, um, yeah, man, that's, that's probably the best way. All right. Thank you. It's been great, man. I really appreciate your time. And, um, you know, it's been amazing. So thank you for that. You know, it's, it's Okay, that about does it for today. I want to thank my guest, Hussein Ahmed, for being a guest on the show. Um, I thought it was very brave of him to share with us what it was like to be in Iraq and coming to this country at 15. Um, I think there's a lot we can learn from that. 
um, I thank you. I thank him for giving me his time and letting me share his stories. Um, look up his stuff on YouTube. You can, if you look up uh, his name, you should be able to find it. Um, that about does it. I want to thank you, as always, for listening. You can find me at Justin Yachts, and I will see you next time on the DMF.